Gen X Playback, episode 13. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Welcome back to that same old place that you laughed about. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Gen X Playback. It is our reminiscing of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We are the Brothers High. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And once again, welcome to yet another fun edition of Gen X Playback. I thought it might be interesting, Sean, to um, kind of give a little bit of a shout out. Casey Kasem would do that from time to time on America's Top 40, which everybody probably who listens to this podcast or most people listen to this podcast all remember Casey Kasem in, in America's Top 40. And every once in a while, he would give a shout out to a radio station in some different part of the country. Okay. And you always used to, uh, because uh, in, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we used to listen to America's Top 40 on two radio stations. In Lancaster was FM 97. And there was also a radio station close by in York that was called Q106. Mm-hmm. So every once in a while, you'd listen and you'd hear Casey go, uh, listening is Q106 in York, Pennsylvania. You'd be like, yay, that's us. Yeah. So I thought it might be uh, kind of fun since our little community continues to grow. I thought maybe I'd give a little shout out to uh, some listeners in some you know different parts of the world, actually, since, since we do have listeners all across the globe. Don't worry, folks. Um, all we get is uh, where you're from. That's that's it. We don't know anything else about you. So don't think that anybody is uh, tracking you down or anything. But I wanted to give a shout out. One of our newer listeners that, that just seemed to pop up on the radar is from Munster, Ireland. Oh, so, really? Uh, okay. or, or maybe as you pronounce it out there, Munster, Ireland. Not sure. I apologize if I got it wrong, but uh, welcome to the podcast. We're so glad that you could join us. And, uh, you know, uh, hopefully you'll have fun, as much fun reminiscing about the past as we do. Okay. Yeah, that's that's good. I um, did not know that we picked up somebody from Ireland. And, you know, it's interesting because I was just talking to some friends of mine here the other week. And Ireland is high on our list of places that we want to go and visit. So, you know, maybe we can do a, do a meetup with our listener out there. <laughs> All right. Like I said, we don't want to scare anybody away. <laughs> Um, but that, that is, uh, that's, that's, we, we thought it might be nice to point something else because there's so many different areas. Uh, once we start talking about towns in the United States, we are from one end of the, of the country to the other. We're from East coast to West coast, North and South. So I thought that was, that was kind of nice. It gives us such a common area to speak about things that we remembered as kids, because as it goes to show you may be from a completely different part of the country, but yet your childhood and your memories may be very similar. Sure. And, you know, we, we're talking about this pop culture from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And that's one of the things I think we share a lot of with other places in the world. For the most part, America and England, or the UK, you pretty much dominate, you know, music, movies. Uh, you know, you had said in one of the episodes how you and I really like British humor, and we really watch the British television shows and we, you know, when we did our movie list, you know, we both talked about a lot of British movies as well. So it it's uh, not surprising that in other places of the world, they would have the share the same things that we share as far as a love for that Gen X pop culture. Absolutely. So this week, we're going to, again, go to a favorite list. And I thought it'd be fun for us to discuss our favorite movie soundtracks. And I thought it'd be uh, interesting to talk about movie soundtracks because I think movie soundtracks uh, 
were more important in our generation, maybe than any other generation of the 20th century or even today. The movie soundtrack was as much a part of the movie or could have been a, as much a part of the movie as as the, the movie itself. It, it definitely seems like when you're talking about great movie soundtracks, and there, there have been a few in the 2000s and beyond, but not many. And I, I don't know about you, but when I was trying to narrow my list down to a top 10, it wasn't an easy decision. There were definitely some, some challenges there. And there are some great soundtracks that you could pick maybe a song or two from each soundtrack and say, Hey, I, you know, I wasn't a fan, a huge fan of the entire soundtrack, but man, did I love that song. And that when I whittled my list down, that that was one of the the factors that I, I, I brought in was, did I just like a song or did I like the whole soundtrack? So for the most part, when we do get to my list, it's going to be complete soundtracks. And I actually did go back and listen to every song on all of the 10 plus two, because I have two honorable mentions. So I, you know, I, I have a, a hard top 10 and the, the two honorable mentions. And I listened to every song. There, there are other, there are albums. And I know you're going to get into some of like what was popular. Um, there's some things that, that were on my consideration list that didn't quite make the cut only because I've heard the song so often where I got a little bit tired of them, or it's it's a matter of fact uh, of the point where there were a couple, like two, three, four big hits, and then the rest of the songs, to me, were kind of filler. So that's kind of when I, you know, that you might, some of my lists, uh, song, or albums on my list might be a bit of a surprise, but that's kind of because I was trying to go for a full album. And that as I was kind of running down the list of soundtracks, one other thing that sort of stood out to me is some movies, when you when you're doing a period piece, like say for example, Goodfellas. Okay. All right. Goodfellas has an incredible soundtrack, but it's kind of easy for them because they're looking back, so you can look back in time yeah. and take the best songs from that era. And the, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. There's a couple of them that are on, is on my it, list. Is Goodfellas on your list? Goodfellas is not on my list. Okay, so we can talk about it because Goodfellas was on my to be considered list and got cut for the exact same reason you just mentioned. And I do have I do have some compilation soundtracks yeah. because they're good. I mean, I, I don't want to deny the fact that, hey, I got turned on to this particular song because of this soundtrack. I'm not going to lie. That, that, that is, sure. and there are some. Yeah. But I think that was, for me, when I was looking at, you know, maybe a top 10 or my favorite, I tried to go back and think about, you know, what I was into at the time when that movie came out, and, or if that movie came sure, out. Sure, and what old. kind of produced hits at the time. Right. That's something, I mean... For me, I considered when I came up with the list, because like you said, with Goodfellas, awesome, jam-packed with great songs, especially from the 60s. I, I really liked the music that they picked, yeah, um, but I don't remember Goodfellas having songs uh, on the radio at the time when the movie came out, just because it was, the soundtrack was big. Correct. So why don't we, let's move forward a little bit, and before we start getting into our favorites, I, I thought it might be interesting to note, to discuss maybe what the top five selling soundtracks of all time are. Now, this is, this is all decades, we're like even this is, 60s. And... But the funny thing is, all the top five are in our era. Really? Yeah. So, I thought so that we was don't have like West Side Story nope. or... Um, Sound of Music? Sound of Music, yeah. Nope. I mean, albums that. that our mom had. Correct. Uh, you know, you're looking at, um, oh, what was the Peter Fonda movie? um but easy rider easy rider i mean that's nope the graduate really? the graduate nope the graduate's not on is there. not on the top five huh? list is 
completely Gen X. Awesome for Gen so X. I, I thought, I, you know, yeah. can, do you think you can name, how many of the top five do you think you can guess? Um, well, I, I, I probably pretty close. So let, let me guess. Let, let me try. So we're going to go the bodyguard soundtrack. That's number one. Yeah. Then, um, dirty dancing. That's number five. Now, dirty dancing over its time from the, from the moment it was released until today is actually one of the top selling, um, albums of all time. Yeah. So it far exceeds, uh, some of these others in terms of international sales. Now this is again, I had mentioned this in our favorite albums episode where it's really hard to get a, a definitive number mm-hmm. on album sales. So this is American album sales here. So, but yes, uh, the bodyguard is number one. Dirty dancing is listed as number five. How about top gun. Top gun is not on the list. Footloose. Footloose is not on the list. Really? Okay. Well then I'm not really sure. Uh... I think seventies. Seven. Okay, so Saturday Night Fever. That's on the list. Now okay. go 80s. 80s. Um, like Con- kind like, of a biopic al- uh, movie. Uh, Stars Born? Loosely based on uh, 80s, mid-80s. Okay. Eh, kind of set in the Midwest. Uh, I'm just saying. Oh, maybe. well, how about um, Purple Rain? There you go. Yeah. Purple Rain. That's number three. And okay. number four is 90s. 90s movie but this is a compilation pulp fiction now but you're close same same about the same year mm, not sure it's a it's a dual it's a two cd set it's for, forrest gump oh for, sure. yeah sure forrest that, gump that, that was like four. um that was a huge yes uh, album yeah that's right i did see that so your highest selling soundtracks of all time were dirty dancing Forrest Gump, Purple Rain, Saturday Night Fever, and The Bodyguard. That's a good, I mean, that's a good sure. list. And some of those are going to be in my favorites. Okay. All right. But I just thought it'd be important to to mention those because I'm sure if you are listening, I think we have enough listeners, there's going to be, there's going to be some commonality. There's going to be some common names there. People mm-hmm. are going to agree with that. So hopefully you're starting to think of, you know, you're starting to think of what your favorite movie soundtracks of all time are and so and also to add to that uh scott you know one of the reasons why i think soundtracks are really popular at the time when they came out during the gen x era was we didn't have things such as spotify you know Mm -hmm. we we if you wanted to get like a compilation of a whole bunch of different music a soundtrack oftentimes was the best way so you get you talk about like forrest gump forrest gump would have music from all the different eras that were featured in the film and it was, it's a good way to not have to go out and buy 10, 15 different albums to get that one song that you liked. Right. And in the 80s, we had the advantage. Now, obviously, Saturday Night Fever was in the 70s. But some of these were aided by even the bodyguard. They were aided by the music video. Mm-hmm. And what a lot of the movie studios would do, they would combine and they would release these compilation music videos with maybe their song release. And they would bring it out maybe week or two before the movie was released Mm -hmm. and it was a promotional vehicle. And I think that's part of the reason why Gen X has so many top lists here in the, uh, in in the albums for movie soundtracks, because a lot of that had to do with MTV being part of that promotional vehicle. It's like, you know, one of the weird movies that that stands out to me is the movie streets of fire. Remember that? Oh, absolutely. So So was that Diane Lane? Yeah. Yeah. Very young Diane Lane. Rick Moranis was in that. Uh, So it was, but MTV really got behind that movie. It was one of the first movies that they sort of heavily promoted. And I remember them having the videos start to come out. It was like a week before the movie was, was released. 
Now, did that movie do well? No, but it sort of set the template for how movies would be going forward because that came out about a year before Footloose. And then Footloose ended up being all over MTV. And, and we'll and we'll discuss that mm-hmm. in a little bit. But, uh, you know, Footloose used MTV uh, a lot because that was the demographic that they were trying to hit to watch that movie. And they were able to use it very successfully. I remember Streets of Fire was one of the first movies that started to promote directly in MTV. Uh, I Can Dream About You was the one that it, it was, um, uh, who sang that? One? Dan Hartman. So Dan Hartman. From Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Local guy. Right. So he doesn't appear in the video. At right. least the one, they had like two videos. They did too, yeah. There was one where he does appear and he is, you know, as the singer. But then there's the other one, which is kind of the movie take, which is the one they shoot on MTV, where it's a kind of a, a made up uh, band for the movie. They're all actors. Right. And they're lip syncing to the song. That that was fairly heavily played on MTV. At least that was like 1983 ish. That was a big. Uh, that was a very popular song. It was Dan Hartman was somebody who had had quite a career going in the 70s. Sort of stepped away from the microphone and did a lot of producing. And then this was considered his comeback hit. And um, you know, like I said, Dan Hartman, who was originally from Mechanicsburg, PA, he uh, sort of revitalized his singing career uh, with with that one particular song. And it was just off of a movie soundtrack the song was way better than the movie i can tell oh, you yeah that. <laughs> yeah so you it, know it's like we, we've we've mentioned this in other episodes how when scott and i first got access to uh, you know cable television and you know our local movie channel which was prism we watched everything mm-hmm. Yeah, we we became young siskel and ebert you know if you wanted if our friends wanted to a review on movies i think they probably came to us because hey we'd seen everything we did. We watched. We sat through it through the good, bad, and the ugly. <laughs> That's great. Even if it was like the worst movie ever, we watch it till the end. It was kind of like watching a train wreck. Yeah, and then we'd really criticize it afterwards and Absolutely. mock it as as we want to do. But yeah, no, we'd, we'd watch it all the way through, and we did see Streets of Fire. Well, there was there was a, a TV show that came out quite a few years later. It was called Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand, mm-hmm, sure, which we watched. Yeah, in part because it was. The three, it was the guy and the aliens that would watch the movie, and then they would comment. Make snarky little remarks. On how bad the movie was. Yeah. And that totally stole our thunder because we were doing that many years before that TV show. We should have come out came. with that show. But it was it was just funny because we would sit there and make the sarcastic comments. And uh, family today, they don't like watching things on TV with us because – Chances are we're going to make fun of it at some point. <laughs> I actually try to control myself now. <laughs> I know. We try. <laughs> it right. doesn't work, though. All right. So I'm going to turn things over to you, Sean, if you want to start out with your uh, with your top 10 for movie soundtracks. All right. So we're going to go We're going to go 10, uh, 10 through 2, and then I'm going to do my honorable mentions, and then okay. come back with number 1. So number 10, and with the um, the songs that I picked, I, I, I'm trying not to go with the obvious ones from the albums, but this this song was off of a movie soundtrack which came out in the 80s and this came out in 1987 this was heavily promoted by MTV and we'll um, yep so fire it up and this is of course uh, for those who will remember this is the movie La Bamba 
Great movie. Well, better soundtrack than movie. I love the soundtrack. Movie's not great. Yeah. But Los Lobos? Los Lobos. Uh, the the story is about Richie Valens. Kind of a, a, a forgotten singer in many ways. He was part of the uh, the group of musicians with Buddy Holly and the Big Bopper that, that went down in the airplane in the famous The Day the Music Died, as people would, would, would talk about. And uh, it's kind of the story of Rich, Richie Valens' life. Very young. I think he was like 17 years old when he you know, hits it big. La Bamba is the big hit, so the, the movie's named La Bamba. But I always kind of preferred Let's Go. Mm-hmm. It uh, was kind of catchy. And interestingly, in the movie, um, where Lou Diamond Phillips played Richie Valens, he lip syncs to everything, and they brought Los Lobos in. Mm-hmm. Los Lobos was a band. I mean, we were aware of Los Lobos. They were just on MTV a little bit before the movie came out. We knew who they were. I couldn't tell you any song that they that they right. were known for. They're uh, they're from East LA, so they're they're American musicians. But they fell in love with rock and roll, blues, and but also the uh, Tejano music from Mexico. So it's kind of they they sort of fused all these different blends of music together, and some of the songs they sang were in Spanish, some they did in English, um, but they were known as being great players, great musicians, and. Uh, you know, one of my favorite songs in itself is at the end of La Bamba is not even the whole song La Bamba, but at the very end where yeah. they do like that little impromptu jam. Do, 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 do. I mean, yeah. that, I mean, you yeah. listen to those guys playing. It's like, holy cow, these guys are amazing. Right. And, you know, it, interestingly with the movie La Bamba, they, they had some of the famous uh, musicians uh, that, that would have appeared in the movie played by relatively famous musicians. So, you know, for us, we got to see as, you know, uh, Eddie Cochran was Brian Setzer right. from from the Straight Cats, and we also and Buddy Holly was uh, a musician. Some of you may remember Marshall Crenshaw. Yeah. So they all sang on the soundtrack, and then they were the actors in the movie. You know, little bit parts here and there, but I, I liked it. I mean, I, I, but I, I do remember that just this incredible push from the music with uh, with MTV, and they, you know, they had like some live performances, and it, you know. While it's not necessarily a soundtrack, I think that a lot of people are going to put on their list if you go out there on the internet. And, you know, we always make fun of Rolling Stone because, you know, they are, <laughs> they are the authorities and everything. But if you're going to look at something like that, they're probably not going to have La Bamba as one of the greatest. But at the time, it, it, it made some waves when it came out. It did. And I'm glad you mentioned that because it was something that fell off my radar. I didn't even really think about about La Bamba, but I, it's a great choice. I like it. Okay, so that is number 10. So we're going to go to number 9. And most everything's in the 80s. I got a little touch in the 70s, a little touch in the 90s, but we're going to stay in the 80s, but at the very beginning of the 80s. So when you know Scott mentioned his list with a, a movie that you know was a huge soundtrack hit, which was Saturday Night Fever. To me, that's a little obvious. So I kind of went for... The next thing, the next John Travolta movie, which was Urban Cowboy. This is Johnny Lee, Looking for Love. Urban Cowboy. We, we, we're only two, two soundtracks in. We have our first, we have our first uh, agreement here. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, well, it's a good song. I remember this on the radio a yeah. lot when we were kids. Yes, I, I, I absolutely do. And... I don't know if everybody listening to this podcast 
but we were reared on country music. Like our parents sure. were really into country music. So to me, this wasn't a real big stretch when you had crossover performers like Johnny Lee, like Eddie Rabbit. Mm-hmm. You know, we were into that. Kenny, Kenny Rogers, Crystal Gale. Like Mickey Gilley, who, you know, who appears in the movie you know, and appears on the soundtrack. And one of my favorite ladies that rock, Bonnie Raitt actually has a couple of songs does, on yeah. this on this soundtrack yeah. as well. So, yeah, we agree on this one. And in 1980, um, it's, so it's just it's just right there at the beginning of kind of you know a classic Gen X era. You know, for for the most part, I'm going to stay locked in the 80s. Well, was it was it you, Sean, that had said that from the success of Saturday Night Fever, that John Travolta for every movie that he negotiated after Saturday Night Fever. He took a piece of the soundtrack. Oh, that wasn't me. Okay, you got that somewhere else. Okay, so that was part of his part of his income on a movie that he acted in. Was that for Grease and for Urban Cowboy? He actually got a piece of that soundtrack pie, which you you know Saturday Night Fever, Grease, and Urban Cowboy. It within a what is that about four year run? Yeah. I guess he made more money on the soundtrack royalties than he did on the movie itself. Interesting. So this soundtrack um, had had a lot of good songs, not just Looking for Love. I mean, Looking for Love, I, I don't know without seeing the numbers if that was the biggest thing, but if it wasn't, The Devil Went Down to Georgia by Charlie Daniels, which is fi- uh, featured prominently in the movie, yeah. was a huge hit back in the 80s. That, you know, that's probably the biggest song that came off of the album. Uh, but we also had a little bit of a tribute to kind of a country rock band the eagles lion eyes is in there i, I like that i kind of forgot that that was part of the soundtrack so i went back and listened again and, and that was really one of the last songs that the eagles released as a group okay so it's kind so of the 1980s it, it sure, was yeah. kind of the end of the run for the eagles right which i think probably deserves an episode at some point because they were the biggest band in the 70s hands they were? Down. oh yeah if there was any group that came as close to the beatles as humanly possible that was the Eagles, and unfortunately for us, we're kind of young to remember their how big sure. they were in the early part of the seventies. But uh, you know, the Eagles were the band of the nineteen seventies, and when you look back, it's they were almost as prolific as as a band like the Beatles. And and also, you know, before we move on to the next one, you know, a, a song that I kind of forgot was part of the soundtrack, uh, which is Boss Gags. Look what you've done to me. Boss Gags was a rock singer, at least as far as I remembered, and you know, this is definitely a country. Uh, album but what was nice about kind of that era where in the late 70s early 80s you know scott ran off some of the artists you know the kenny rogers the eddie rabbits there was starting to become a crossover dolly parton all these artists were which were exclusively country artists in the early 70s mid 70s were now starting to cross over into the pop charts and they were becoming pretty prominent yeah and that i don't know if television had part of it or if they all just kind of came together at the same time we mentioned one of our favorite tv shows the dukes of hazard in our tv theme songs we talked about bj and the bear mm-hmm. so there's definitely a country flavor sure going on nationally at that time i don't know remember the industry is a copycat industry just like charlie's angels tied into disco yeah now you had these tv shows that sort of tied into country so they all kind of follow each other along and i think that period from 1979 to like 1981, 82, there was definitely a country vibe that was going on in in the nation at that time. Well, I'd be interested to hear uh, what you play from that as well. So I'm going to move on 
and play our next song. So that, of course, is from Pulp Fiction. That is uh, Dick Dale, the famous Dick Dale and his Deltones and uh, a song that he calls Miserloo. And to me, that's one of my favorite things that kind of came out of the whole Pulp Fiction soundtrack and, and movie was it really brought back to life kind of that surfer music. Yeah, and as soon as you hear that guitar lick at the beginning of the song, you know exactly what the song is, which yeah. harkens back to like the great guitarists of all time. Like Keith Richards was always known for those amazing hooks for the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. The lyrics of the songs, you know, they're they're good rock and roll songs, but it's the beginning of the songs. Like as soon as you hear it, you know exactly who's what the song is, and and what it, and what it's going to be. And that's this one right here. So I thought that that's a good choice. I like that. Yeah, the Pulp Fiction soundtrack is is one that I, I go back to time and time again. And it you know Quentin Tarantino is you know brought up a similar era that that we were brought up in, and it, it's interesting how when he does the soundtrack, how he kind of splices some of the uh, the dialogue from the movie in throughout the album and he was creating an album which was i always kind of appreciate the fact that it it kind of you know flows the way an album should flow it and 1994 is pulp fiction well at the time when it came out i i, I liked it i didn't know because it was so different Yes, and so aggressive and and violent and kind of assaulted the senses in a bit of a way. But as I've grown older, I I've come to appreciate it even more. Yeah, I it, I think a little bit of that has to do with maybe where we grew up because it was very much it had a very California vibe to it, and it, you know as far how people were speaking, and there was definitely you know a drug, uh, heavy drug culture in the movie. So the first time I think I watched it, I was not impressed. Right, but when you see the subtleties in the movie, the, when you go back and watch it a second, third, fourth time, I'm with you. I I like it a little more each time. Like the the scene where he takes uh, takes her into the house, you know, with Eric Stoltz uh, mm-hmm. as the drug dealer, sure. and just that whole dialogue. Uh, to me, I find it hilarious. Now, where probably the first time I saw it, I was like, you know, this is just they're loud, they're screaming, they're cursing at each other, but. When you go in, just from what the cereal that he's eating when they come inside, uh, it's just um, it was one of those movies you kind of have to see over and over again to catch everything that's in it. And you know, I you know just played prior to that 1980s Urban Cowboy, right? John right. Travolta, big hit. Well, this is 1994, and John Travolta has not been doing a whole lot, probably since Look Who's Talking. So he comes back with a completely different character from what we've ever seen John Travolta in before. He's, he plays Vincent, you know, one of the hitmen. Him and Samuel L. Jackson, you know, are who plays Jules. They're the two main characters throughout the movie. It's a movie that really made Samuel L. Jackson's career because I mean, he's fabulous, you know, mm-hmm. at, in this role. And it really is the beginning of his relationship with Tarantino. And, and Tarantino just uses him over and over again for many iconic roles. But this was this was John Travolta as we've never seen it before. He was really able to successfully transform himself, and not not going to lie. And I, I'm sure he was quick to point out that 
after his huge success, and we mentioned Saturday Night Fever, mm-hmm. uh, Urban Cowboy, Grease, not to mention the fact that he was on Welcome Back, Cotter, he was kind of all over the place. He was maybe one of the biggest A-list actors in Hollywood by 1981, 1982. And then it, it it doesn't take long for somebody's career to sort of get forgotten about. And that's what happened to him for, from like 1983 until 1989's look who's talking. He disappeared. And then he came back, he did the kids movie Mm -hmm. and then he's able to just completely make a new character for himself. And I applaud a guy for not being typecast. I I don't know if, honestly, I don't know if a guy like a Tom Hanks could do that. Yeah. Because he took a big Travolta took a big risk in going down this direction. Bruce Willis is in the movie as well, and in many ways, it kind of brought Bruce Willis back again. He plays Butch, the you know the fighter, mm-hmm. and it's not that happy-go-lucky guy that we're kind of used to seeing. Uh, even in the Die Hard films, where he's a tough guy, he still has kind of a, a you know a comedic edge. It's still kind of the '90s, where it's with the one-liners and the quips, where you know while uh, he may have some lines like Zed's dead in, in this movie with Willis. It, it definitely, once again, we're talking about a darker movie right. that these guys definitely benefited from being in. Okay. So anyways, that's the uh, Pulp Fiction soundtrack. Also on that soundtrack, you know, just to mention how different it is. We have Dick Dale, but we also had like cool in the gang with jungle boogie mm-hmm. and Al green. I'm, I've always been a big Al green fan. They have let's stay together. Yeah. Uh, you know, really good songs from that movie. So now we're going to move on to the next one. Okay. Mid eighties, nineteen eighty five. Uh, we'll let it play. People hear this a little bit. Makes makes me want to work out. Just talking <laughs> about. It. All right, so that's part of my story I have with this. Let the lyrics come in. Okay, for those who uh, don't know, this is Burning Heart, performed by Survivor on the Rocky Four soundtrack. And Scott just said it makes you want to work out. So this came out in 1985. The reason this is on my list is because in 1985, this was my workout tape. Okay. As I was getting ready for, I remember the, the soccer season coming up, uh, you know, that fall. I, w- I, I can still visualize myself doing push-ups in my room listening to the soundtrack. Stallone had that ability to tap into the male persona. And I, yeah, I when I saw Rocky 3 for the first time, when we saw Rocky 4 for the first, you know, it's like you wanted to run through walls, through doors, pound on stuff. Uh, you know, it you want to like in the in the video, you can visualize yourself run through the snow. Yes. Right? And, you know. And Stallone he had a he had a hand in picking these songs. Make no mistake about it. Like when uh, they when uh, Survivor wrote "Eye of the Tiger" for the Rocky Three soundtrack, mm-hmm. Stallone actually approached the band and said, "I want a song that sounds kind of like this," and that's how they wrote this. They didn't. They wrote the song for the soundtrack, and this song again was the same thing. Stallone said, "I I'm looking for this." And so Survivor was able to recreate this as well for, for this soundtrack. Good right. choice. And, uh, and you, know, you can see that he's been working with Survivor. So Survivor does Eye of the Tiger. Survivor does Burning Heart. Different lead singer. Right. Jimmy Jameson is the lead singer now for Survivor. Right. 
but a, a huge hit and kind of run down the soundtrack a little bit. And for those of you don't remember, this was Rocky Four, where Sylvester Stallone is all about fighting Drago. Yep. You know, Drago. The Cold War. It's the Cold War, so we're going to fight the Russians. We go from the first two, where it's Apollo Creed, who, you know, does make an appearance in this, you know, do the spoiler alert. No, we don't have to do the spoiler alert. No, yeah. You know, Apollo's Rocky's buddy at this point in Rocky IV, after, after Apollo trains Rocky in Rocky Three to come back and fight Clever Lang. Right. And then, of course, uh, Apollo decides he just has to get back in the ring again, and he fights, and he goes up against Drago. And prior to the fight, we get another song, a big hit from this song, which was James Brown's Living in America, mm-hmm. which was the intro to the fight. And then, of course, then Drago kills uh, a, you know, Apollo in the fight. And now Rocky's got to seek revenge for what happened uh, to his buddy yeah. in, in the movie. And it's funny because maybe the song that I like the most now is the hearts on fire song with john cafferty it's on my so my list is, yeah. is mentioning it and i almost played that one yeah as, well as i mean my song this is a good choice because as soon as you played it i immediately know which movie you're talking sure. about and that's part of what movie soundtracks were meant to do at that time yeah they you hear the song on the radio you think about the movie if you haven't seen the movie then you need to go out and see the movie. sure or maybe you liked it so much you need to see it another time so. and that's kind of the beauty at least as far as a marketing uh, perspective for what was happening in the 80s with MTV and with the the movies and movie soundtracks. It's, like Scott said, it was a huge commercial to go out and see this movie. I saw it in the theater. Yeah, I remember so me I. and my friends going out there and, and seeing it, and it's like we couldn't wait to see it because we had already seen these videos and had already pumped us up. Yeah. Yeah, I saw it with our dad. Okay. Yeah. Just the two of us. All right. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, I saw it with my buddies. Yeah. Yeah, and, and another song that it was on this, you know, Scott talked about Hearts of Fire, but also the song No Easy Way Out by uh, Robert Tepper. Yeah, that's uh, the famous driving scene after, famous driving after scene. Apollo dies. Yeah, yeah, really good. And it it was a, I always liked how they kind of really could, especially Stallone, mm-hmm. really make you feel what was happening in the movie based on a little song montage. And he might have been one of the first... I mean, there were other movies that came out that had sort of that MTV where they were kind of putting a video within the movie. Stallone was really good at that. He was great at isolating camera shots to essentially create a music video inside mm-hmm. the movie. There was one movie that came out before that in the in the earlier 80s. It was called To Live and Die in L.A. I thought about that one. and uh, But that that was really, to me, that was one of the very first movies that sort of did that. Where they created this this video montage in inside the movie itself. Prince did that with Purple Rain. Well, you uh, talk about to live and die in LA. I saw the movie specifically just because of the music video uh, for Wang Chung for mm-hmm. the theme song. Right, and it, that's still my favorite Wang Chung song. I mean, I know it's not the most popular one, but I think that's a really good song. And as you are absolutely correct in saying, it was put together as a package. Uh, you know, to be marketed out there. Okay. All right, so that was number seven. So I'm going to go number six. This time I am going to go into the 70s, and I'd be surprised if this was well, this one isn't on Scott's list. And it, we, who knows, we may have even picked the same song. But this is um, the only thing that I have from the 70s. Okay. Still gets played at weddings all the time. Yeah, that's John Travolta again, isn't it? Yes, it is. 
and that Olivia Newton-John. Yeah, of course, we're talking Summer Nights from the uh, the motion picture Grease. Yes. Yep, and Grease is on my list. I, I will uh, I will agree to that. I, did, I picked a different song. Good. But uh, this soundtrack was almost as big as Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night Fever blew the doors off of everybody. And a year later, Travolta does the same, almost the same thing with the next movie that he does. And then if anybody thought it was going to be, well, this is the era of the movie soundtrack, it kind of goes dark for for that musical type uh, movie soundtrack. And I think uh, it just goes to show how good those movie soundtracks were because they have still held up 40 years, 45 years later. So I said earlier that I went back and I listened to every soundtrack from start to finish I and I, I went back and listened to Greece and this one in particular I was like wow this is a good soundtrack this you know it, obviously they're taken right from the movie you know when when they're they're doing a lot of the songs you know such as the uh, you know Grease Lightning I can go back and I can I can visualize the guys working on the car they uh, you know we go together it's you know that I can see them out at their carnival at the school it 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 brings back a lot of memories as a kid watching this on the movie of the week yeah, and when I, to peel the curtain back, when I first got into DJing before we started working for a radio station, and before and after, I, I was a wedding DJ, and I started with a wedding DJ company up in Reading, Pennsylvania, and this was, back then, we didn't have digital music. We had CDs, we had albums, we had cassette tapes, so this was one of the must-haves when you were doing a wedding back in the mid-90s, which is when I started DJing. Mm-hmm. So you're talking 20 years after the soundtrack soundtrack was released. It was still one of those must-haves that you had to have with you because almost every wedding that I did when I first started out as a wedding DJ, they would almost always request a song off of the soundtrack. So it showed it still had the lasting power 20 years later. And who didn't love Danny and Sandy and Rizzo and Kinnicky? I mean, and the rest of the gang. It, you know, a great movie. Not all soundtracks... Great soundtracks are from great movies, but this is the this is the gold standard as far as I'm concerned. Where you have a a movie that I still don't get tired of, nope. I still watch it frequently, and a soundtrack that I still love the songs. Yeah, like you said, it's it's rare to see both hold up over time. And if Grease comes on TV, I'm going to watch it for a few minutes, if not for the movie itself, but for the, certainly for the music because the music throughout the movie is fun. Right. Okay, so that was number six on my list, which was Greece. We're going to go to number five, and I'm going to go to 1988. Uh, here's a movie that um, saw in the theater. Really light. That was cool. Song was probably this song was probably bigger than the movie. The movie, the movie was popular. The movie was Cocktail with Tom Cruise, and here's the big hit, Kokomo by the Beach Boys. Yeah. And this is going into my senior year of high school, and this song was played all the time on the radio. This dominated. This went to number one. This was a number one song, which is funny because for Beach Boy fan purists, 
they're very divided about this song. Mm-hmm. Some love it because it brought them back into prominence, and some hate it because they said it's the dumbest written Beach Boys song ever. Um, I don't care. I like the song. I like the and, song. And we are we're young at the time when this when this song comes out. So we were Beach Boy purists. We knew the songs. We liked the songs, but we didn't grow up in the '60s. We knew who the Beach Boys were sure. through our parents. And the Beach Boys, they they had a few comebacks. They kept themselves relevant enough in the in the eighties. They had the they had some songs. Uh, I think there was a song called "Take You Back," that was on uh, that hit like the top forty, maybe two or three years before this. They sort of did that duet with the Fat Boys. Yeah, that came yeah. out before. So you know they sort of kept themselves in the mix. They did "California Girls" with David Lee Roth. So they were they were still a name, but this really for uh, for our generation was the first time that they threw something out there that was entirely theirs, and it ended up going number one. But um, Cocktail was a movie that I, I was a fan of. Me and my friend Steve Kratz, when we got our driver's licenses, we went out and we saw a movie every weekend. And this was mm-hmm. when this was released. This was one of the first movies that we had to see right after it was released, and we went and saw it right away. Sure, and I I thought it was a great movie, and. We, you know, you talk about the Beach Boys kind of having a, a comeback with this. That was all part of the package. This was at the heyday of when you were going to have MTV involved with produ- uh, pushing a movie. And what helped Cocktail is that it was a good movie. It, you know, it's it's the story where, where Tom Cruise is playing Brian Flanagan, who is uh, somebody that always has the 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 business books, the personal development books. He's He's working as a bartender, trying to trying to make some money. You know, he's looking to kind of go through graduate school. You know, wants to get his MBA, I believe. And he's 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 pushing, but you know, he's he's working at a bar. You know, with his uh, it turns out he's kind of mentored by Doug uh, uh, Coughlin or Coughlin. I forget how the, how you said it at the time. Coughlin. Coughlin. That's right. Yeah. It was Coughlin's rules. Coughlin's Coughlin's law. Coughlin. Yeah. And so that was that was Brian Brown. Uh, you know, they, that nice relationship. Kind of they would go in and out of a relationship. They would be friends, then they would kind of be enemies. They were very competitive friends. Yeah. yeah. Right. It, and of course, you know, Lisbeth Shiel. It, this is, I don't know, she had, uh, obviously she's in Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. She's in uh, what, what baby, the Babysitter movie. Adventures in Babysitting. Yeah, right, you know, I think right before this. And then she's in kind of as her first, what I remember, kind of adult grown-up role. Yeah. She's trying to she's trying to progress into more more of a, an adult person. Yeah, and it's very successful. Oh, I yeah. think. Yeah, she was great in this movie. I think she really helped kind of make the movie successful, in my opinion, based on based on her character because she's she's no matter what she acts in, she's always very believable as right. an actress. Right. So I like a, her. A as good an movie. I recommend the movie, but the soundtrack in particular. There was the song "Powerful Stuff" by the Fabulous Thunderbirds, mm-hmm. which I. I remember they promoted on MTV, and I liked uh, "Hippie Hippie Shake" by the Georgia Satellites, which was really cool. And uh, I always like Robbie uh, Neville. Mm-hmm. He has a song on there. Since when? Uh, Bobby McFarland's "Don't Worry, Be Happy" was on there. Eh, I'm not a big fan of that song. It probably just because I've heard it so many times. But it was it was huge when it came out. It was. It didn't go to number one, but it was a number two song on the, on the charts. And it was part of it the was soundtrack everywhere. Yeah. It was everywhere. Yeah. Right. So that was number five on my list, okay. uh, which was Cocktail. Now we're going to go to number four. Uh, 1986. This is, I, I'm sure you'll know it the moment I play it. 
I thought you might go in this direction. Yeah. Yeah. This is from the Pretty in Pink soundtrack. This is Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, If You Leave. It's kind of... This song sort of introduces America to OMD. It, yes. They were around in the UK for a number of years. And they had some moderate hits. Mm-hmm. This was their first international hit, which is a good song. As I started to listen to some more OMD stuff, I, this isn't my favorite OMD song. But this is a great kind of a way to start it off. This is, in my opinion, very John Hughes-ish. Yeah. I mean, the Pretty in Pink is a, you know, one of the, the famous John Hughes films. He doesn't direct this one. Um, a Deutsch. I forget uh, a Deutsch's first name. Uh, he's the director of it. But, you know, this is one of the, uh, the, the teen uh, movies that we've talked about. You know, this is Molly Ringwald. You know, playing her uh, Andy. Uh, you know, you know, you get Ducky in here from John Cryer, and of course Blake, Blake, oh that Blake for Andrew <laughs> McCarthy, who uh, you know it's the love interest between uh, you know does you know Andy kind of a a girl who's not necessarily from the uh, uh, you know she's on the wrong side because brought up kind of on the wrong side of the track. She falls in love with with uh, Blake, who is this you know well to do guy. He's got these. Uh, you know, preppy friends that that are out there, and it's it's classic John Hughes, where you know what happens at the end. It's it's the teen angst, the heartbreak, and uh, well done. And the soundtrack, you know, in in particular, as among all the John Hughes soundtracks that he has, I this is my favorite. Okay, just because it's very much in line with kind of the British new wave. Yeah, and um, it just reminds me of that famous scene when Ducky when is told Andy says who the name of the guy is and you know Andrew McCarthy he finds out his name is is Blaine and he goes Blaine Blaine he goes that's not a name that's a major appliance <laughs> so it just it just kind of stands out yeah. to me um but i think you know we talked about the John Hughes movie 16 candles in one of our previous episodes and uh there's so many great songs on that on the, in the movie that weren't on the soundtrack now, if you would have taken all the music from the movie Sixteen Candles and put it into the soundtrack, it would have been one of my favorite soundtracks of all but time. The, but the actual soundtrack wasn't much. Had so much off of it. I don't know if maybe they, maybe John Hughes learned to include more of that in there, but you're right. I think as far as what was in the movie and what was on the soundtrack, this is Pretty in Pink was definitely more to the point than what say 16 candles was. Right. And I think, um, so what he was known for was kind of that new wave sort of sound that was very popular at the time and a little bit more cutting edge, a lot of European, a lot of English influence mm-hmm. in the soundtrack. And, um, but yeah, a, a group like OMD, I never would have listened to un- unless a movie like this came out now. And here's, uh, I, I could have easily gone with pretty in pink, the actual song pretty in pink by the psychedelic first. Right which in many ways was the main song from the movie. Interestingly, John Hughes writes the movie after the song is released. He, it's, it's not like most movies where I have a movie and here's this here, and I'll create a soundtrack for me. He liked the song Pretty in Pink and then designed the, the film around it. Sure. 
Uh, so pretty, you know, another kind of a, a new wave band that came out of that that I really liked. If you go back and listen, and that's New Order. Uh, they have a song called Shell Shock, which is uh, very much in that English electro. I mean, I, the, you have that that EDM now, electric mm-hmm. dance music, which is kind of a an outgrowth of what was happening then. I don't care for that as much today because it gets too much for me, just in like the you know the the beats and where back then you had a little bit of that, especially, uh, you know, with uh, like New Order and OMD, but it still was around a song. Sure. And New Order uh, at the time, this was really the, um, you know, America's first taste of New Order. And they ended up coming towards the end of the 80s with some top 20, mm-hmm. top 20 hits. This was, and this this wasn't uncommon for, British groups to make their way in before they would actually, it was like kind of like a sample. They would send a song out there, put it on, on a music soundtrack or a movie soundtrack, and then release an album right after that. Wham did that with uh, John Hughes. Because remember, 16 Candles comes out, and they were on there with their uh, one of their hit songs in the UK from the album before with, um, was it Bad Boys? And then they released Make It Big afterwards. And then, so people kind of had an idea in America. It was like, I know, I've heard of Wham, but they weren't like at that time, they weren't on the front of everybody's mind. Same thing with, with um, like a New Order or an OMD. They would do these soundtrack songs. And then everybody's like, yeah, I, I know who you're talking about. So when they would do the album release, you're a little bit more prepared for actually going out and buying it. And part of the reason why the Pretty in Pink soundtrack made my list was when I went back and listened to it recently. It was it contained a lot of music that, like Echo and the Bunnymen, mm-hmm. are on the album, where it's, these are not things that get played a lot. And the the unfortunate thing about the, you know, when we look back at, at like a 40-year span of, you know, kind of what we're covering, if not 50, sometimes you get tired of it. I mean, something is a great song, and if it's a great song and a popular song, it gets played to death. So it's nice to kind of go back and kind of rediscover some of these songs, which didn't get a lot of airplay. You, maybe you heard them on college radio, but you weren't necessarily going to hear them on a lot of pop radio. But it, it's a good soundtrack kind of from start to finish. So that was... Number four on my list, which was Pretty in Pink. Then we're going to move on to uh, to the next one. And this is one that should be very recognizable to everybody. And I I went with at least one of the biggest hits off of, off of this album. Why? Because it's my favorite song off the album. Mine too. And of course, we're talking the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. And this is Eric Carmen and Hungry Eyes. And if you ever notice that when Sean and I get very quiet when the song's playing, it usually means that we like the song an awful lot. <laughs> There's a guy who made made his made his money in the early '80s writing songs for other people, and then somebody writes a song for him. Right. Ends up being one of the biggest song, well, the biggest song of his career. Right. Just, you know, when I, I, I just mentioned, when talking about Pretty in Pink, how I will get tired of songs, even if they're great songs. I have never grown tired of this song since it came out in 1987. 
I will never turn it down. I will never turn it off. I, I listen to it from start to finish every time it comes on. This was the song, and I talked about it in our previous episode, This about Dirty Dancing, how it was my group of, of female friends that kind of dragged the guys into watching this movie. But it was this song that won me over to the soundtrack itself. This song came out after I've had the time of my life with um, Bill, Bill, Medley, Bill and Medley and Warren's. Jennifer Warrens. Yeah. And so I like, I mean, I did like the song, but when, and then Patrick Swayze actually had She's Like the Wind. Mm-hmm. But when it was when this song came out, I, I couldn't get enough of the song. And, and like you said, every time I hear it on the, on the radio or whatever, it's one of the songs I don't turn down. I don't change. I play it the whole way through. Cause like, like you, it's my favorite song off this album. But the whole album is a good album. You know, so it, it sure it has the hits. It's got the big hits of Hungry Guys, The Time of My Life, She's Like the Wind, all, all huge hits. But some of the, I want to say more obscure songs, which are some of the throwback songs, I really, really liked. And Be My Baby by the Renettes appears in that. And Love is Strange by Mickey and Sylvia. If the, if, I mean, I'm sure many people remember the scene where, you know, Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey are kind of acting out the lip syncing the lyrics to that song. One of the best scenes in the movie. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, Dirty Dancing is, is it's on my list as well. So uh, we'll talk about it a little bit okay. more. And I like the soundtrack more than the movie. The movie's good, but I, I like the soundtrack much more. So we're going to go up here to number two. Uh, I have a feeling this one might appear on my brother's list as well. So I'm going to try to go with a song in a different direction. Off the Purple Rain soundtrack from 1984, Take Me With You. By Prince and Apollonia. Yeah. Little duet that they yeah. sang together. I think this was the first duet Prince ever did. If I remember correctly. Because as we talk more about Prince during this podcast, he was famous for being a control freak. Oh yeah. So this kinda gave kinda let his guard down enough that he would work with somebody like Ashina Easton later on. Mm-hmm. But he was very reluctant to let anybody into his world when it came to music. And the fact that they did the song together was was kind of revolutionary for him. It's a good song. It's a very good song. The thing I remember most about the uh, Purple Rain soundtrack, this is one of the ones I bought when it first came out. Um, late at night, when I tried to make myself fall asleep, I'd have put this on in my tape player, mm-hmm. and I would sing along with it. And I think I remember our mom coming into my bedroom the one night saying, will you stop singing? <laughs> were, we you can't... A, were you singing Darling Nikki at the time? No. Because no, <laughs> no. I could see her coming into the room if you were singing that. But their bedroom was, my bedroom was next to theirs. Yeah. And I believe she just, very exasperated, came in the one night and said, will you stop singing? We can't go to sleep. Yeah. Well, you know, the Purple Rain soundtrack had so many hits, and this probably was not even close to, to being one of the biggest. You know, I, I'll run down some of them. You know, I Would Die For You, you know, was not a big hit, but it was still a hit. Uh, the You know, When Doves Cries is 
the you know the number one song that comes from that let's go crazy and of course purple rain sure uh this song ended up having i think five songs go in the top 10 this was one of them it, it was yeah this it was this wasn't a number one i believe when doves cry purple rain and let's go crazy all went number one but there were quite a few others that did extremely well on this soundtrack as we mentioned this was the number three selling soundtrack in american history uh selling almost 20 million copies so yeah purple rain is a is another uh case where the soundtrack is fabulous it's, it's a great album but that's a good movie it's, it's something you can go back watch you know from time to time and i always liked morris day oh morris it, is great yeah it, morris is the epitome of cool i kind of wish that the times songs would have been included agreed. in the soundtrack agreed because the songs that they did in the movie arguably were among my favorite in the movie the entire movie itself were the ones that the time did so it's a shame it wasn't part of it. Like Saturday Night Fever had the Bee Gees mm -hmm. and other artists. Sure. In. Even though, I mean, it really was the Bee Gees album with additions. They could have done the same thing with Purple Rain uh, because, like you said, Morris Day was, was phenomenal in the movie, which just kind of added some nice, a nice little side note because Prince is pretty somber in this, in this movie. And it's, I think Morris kind of added the light, the lightness and the humor to the movie which was badly needed which is kind of interesting because you know in many ways it turned out to be real life playing itself out where they did have this rivalry he i mean he and morris were friends mm -hmm. and you know being the control freak that prince was he kind of controlled a lot of morris day in the times career and and picked what they were doing to the point where morris ended up leaving right so kind of the 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 competitiveness that went on in the movie between the kid prince and morris played itself out in real life and then prince and morris kind of parted ways and they i don't i think from what i heard morris say they kind of patched things up they right did. at the end yeah they did it they, took a while i mean they, they weren't friends for a long time it, it took them about 20 years to make right. amends right and yeah. so he says he was always grateful for the fact that before prince passed away they were in very good terms once yeah. again because they, they were tight you know yeah. in the early days all right so i'm going to do a couple honorable mentions now that was number two so before we do number one i'm going to come back and i'll do my my first of my two honorable mentions here. Another one of those that you just you know right away. So this is the Eddie and the Cruiser soundtrack from 1983. And it's The Dark Side by John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. I'm gonna let this kick in a little yeah. bit. Wasn't he bigger? I mean, he sounds a lot like Springsteen. Well, yeah, and, and that's and that was the criticism. And when they were making this movie, they wanted a Springsteen type sound, but they didn't want Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. So they said, find the closest guy that you can that you can find, and they found Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band, 
and they were the they were the band of the movie. You know, everybody that was on stage for when the movie was made, uh, it's just their lip syncing to sure. to the bands. The only there was one member, the saxophonist, mm-hmm. was at, in the actual band that was a part of the movie itself. Right, right. Now you know Scott and I we're from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, so you know we're we're not on the Jersey Shore, but in this area, people go to the Jersey Shore mm-hmm. in the summertime. So most everybody from Lancaster at some point in their lives have, have gone to the Jersey Shore. Right. Now, if you are from Philly, yeah. All right. And we do have quite a few listeners in Philly, so you everybody there can can join in here with me. So when you say you're going to the shore, you don't yeah. say I'm going to the shore. Maybe down to the shore. I'm down the shore. Yeah. I'm going down the shore. And uh, maybe we can do a thing on Al Alberts and on the way to Cape May, uh, which is something I sing every summer to to Amy that she hates. <laughs> um, but on the way to Cape May is Al Alberts and Al Alberts Celebrity Showcase that he did that was, uh, he sang <laughs> yeah, it in the 50s. right. Al Alberts Celebrity Showcase with the little kids. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. He was a big deal in the 50s. That was, that was awesome. But anyway, uh, yeah, so down the shore, uh, Jersey. This was uh, John Caffrey and Beaver Brown Band. They were actually from Central, very close to where Springsteen grew up. So it's for me, th- that's a sound that I like. And if you go back and listen to the soundtrack, yeah, and I, I debated whether I play some of the other songs. I, I thought that might be a little too obscure for a lot of people. That you know, there's a song called Boardwalk Angel, mm-hmm. which to me kind of epitomizes that being at the beach. You know, being at the shore. It's it. There is that kind of that. Springsteen-y sound and you know talking about the boardwalk that's a, that's a great song down on my knees i thought was a great song uh, uh tender years tender years is yeah. maybe my favorite song off there because um it's actually in my cocktail hour playlist sure for when i do weddings and i think i get more compliments on that song today people that say oh i completely forgot about this song and because it was so well done, and again, that was another John Cafferty song, and uh, but again, still holds up. It kind of has that nostalgic feel, that flavor to it, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, you're right. It's a shame that they that that they didn't get more success. Uh, although they were living in the CITY, <laughs> that that had a little it, you know moderate did, success yeah. to it. And he did write for you know some of the Stallone movies. You right. know, he doesn't usually have the biggest hits on the movies, but. Stallone liked him and included him on, on quite a few of his soundtracks. Yeah. Unfortunately, he got thrown into that category being typecast as a as a Springsteen clone. Yeah. Uh, but this this soundtrack was was in high consideration for my list as well. And, and a pretty good movie. You know, Eddie and the Cruisers was, uh, you know, it's, it's basically the, the plot of it is this Eddie Wilson character kind of disappeared. And now there's a reporter out many years later trying to track down the story of Eddie you get to see a young Tom Berenger as a, a high school teacher uh, who had been in Eddie's band. from Who is now teaching in Vineland, New Jersey. Who, Tom? Yeah, that was his character. Oh, the character, yeah. Yeah, right, right. yeah he was teaching in Vineland, New Jersey. Yeah, so it's, it's a good movie. I, I think, I I think as he it. called it, Vineland. Okay. I, I, yeah, I'm teaching in Vineland. So yeah. he wasn't a native. Yeah. All right, so I'll go to the next one. So that, you know, so that one, um, Eddie and the Cruisers. And then my next honorable mention was from 1996. And I'll play this out, and Scott will know this one. You doing that thing. 
is That Thing You Do from the movie soundtrack, That Thing You Do. Yep. Um, and they, we heard it enough in the movie because that was the whole part of the movie was them playing this song that kept growing on the charts right. as they went made their way from Pennsylvania to California. As they grew to hate the song, yeah. as they had to play it over and over again. But that was, you know, Mr. White, Tom Hanks. You know, Tom writes the movie. He uh, he he wrote a lot of the songs on the for for the movie. You you have Guy, you know, who's Thomas Everett Scott, who's the drummer, uh, the the probably the main member of the band, at least that we get to see as far as from acting. I mean, he's he's you know, Jimmy's the main the main mm-hmm. songwriter, but uh, Guy's the the main focal point as far as the movie's perspective. Lenny, Steve Zahn, who's Steve Zahn's gone on to have a pretty good career. Steve Zahn's been in a lot of things. If if you go back and see his face. You know, like, hey, he's been in quite a bit of movies. A lot. Yeah. And, you know, I, I I always liked him as Lenny in this. So that song, That Thing You Do, was um, sung by uh, by a guy named Michael Viola, who is, is a producer, writer, not, not really known for as a singer, but he's kind of a behind-the-scenes uh, person. And the song was written by uh, Adam Schlesinger, who is from Fountains of Wayne. Okay. So it kind of has that, that feel. And they kind of Stacy's mom? Yep, that's it. Yep, yeah, Stacy's mom. mom. So he was the writer behind this. Okay. And I, I think he and Viola might have written it together, but I know Viola was the singer on it. You can kind of see that connection yes. between Stacy's mom and, and that thing you do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, right. ne- I didn't know that. Right. So the, just because when, when I was looking it up, I was like, oh, who actually was the singer on this? Because I didn't think any of the actors actually sang, and, and they didn't. Right. Uh, although credit them for being making the music, you know, one of the things I always hate about watching movies, and Sean's the same way, is when you watch a movie and it's painfully obvious that they've never held a guitar in their sure. life. Yeah. Or they just look so awkward or even the lip syncing is terrible. So when when they're able to go out there doing the, in the movie and make it look believable, mm-hmm. they did in this movie. Like even Guy, uh, Thomas Everett Scott, when he's drumming, I I buy it. Yeah. You know, he's got that whole little jazz thing going on, and yep. you know, he he did he did a nice job. Some of the other songs off the soundtrack that I like, uh, "Dance with Me Tonight," and then my the one I probably liked the most was "Little Wild One," which, okay. which um, you know wasn't the the main focal point. But we had talked about this when we talked about our Tom Hanks movies, a very underappreciated movie from the '90s that I I think if anyone has not seen this movie, they really need to watch it. it it's it's arguably one of my favorite Tom Hanks movies ever. And I really like the music. The idea is, you know, this band 1964, I think is, is, is when it's set. And it's kind of that, that Beatlesque era that's going on at the time. It, it's a, it's a happy feel good movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was something that I even thought about as well based on, based on the one song. So yeah. it, it didn't make my cut because of some of the other soundtracks I thought had, had a little bit more to offer to it. But yeah, it was definitely something that came into my mind. Okay, so now we're going to go to number one. Number one. I'll be surprised if this is number one on my brother's list. Okay. All right, I'll be surprised. I mean, if you come up with this one, I I will say, man, we're alike. So, go to the beginning. Get let it kick in. It's from 1985. Okay. It's a little bit of a build-up here. Ah, I think you know what song it is right now. Yeah, I do. It's off the Vision Quest soundtrack. Vision Quest, yeah. Vision Quest. That, 
again, that was uh, that was a soundtrack that fell off my radar. And this is Lunatic Fringe by the band Red Rider. This song was ahead of its time. I think it had to come out 10 years or 20 years later. Probably would have been probably higher in the charts. If you've seen the movie, right now you can see Loudon, Loudon Swain in the uh, in the training room working on his wrestling moves. Getting ready to go wrestle shoot. Oh yeah. Drop 20 pounds so he can wrestle down a weight class because he wants to wrestle the toughest wrestler in the ta- state of Washington. Did we talk about Vision Quest in any of our previous episodes? I think we, because Michael Shefflin's in this. The, but, so I mean, we referenced it because we talk about Michael Shefflin being cooch. Right. And and the fact that um, the guy he was wrestling, the fact that Loudon had to lose weight to <laughs> wrestle this beast yeah, right. of a guy who was probably 250 pounds in real life. Right. I but, just, but Loudon, which is uh, Matthew Modine, he's really tall. Yes. So, I mean, even now, I, I saw, uh, I went on YouTube and I found where they had like a 30th anniversary showing of this in Washington. And, and Matthew Modine came back to it. He towers over the people that were on stage. Yeah. Yeah. And this was kind of at the height of his career. He, he did Full Metal Jacket after this movie, but he was sort of known as... Uh, as far as him being sort of a teen idol movie actor, which some of those guys were known for kind of their teenage characters. And his character here is a high school student. And so this was kind of him at the height of being that high school student that is in a lot of these teen movies that are, that came out in the mid eighties. I, I think this is, this is a movie that I, I don't know if everybody remembers. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of people, that would remember this movie. Uh, it it was, you know, our cousins, the uh, the Mumals, uh, Abe, Rob, and Jeff all wrestled. So our cousin Abe kind of turned me on to this movie, and I didn't see it at the time of the theater. Heard about it, you know, but the fact is they were so into wrestling. I I watched it with him one time, and he's like, "Oh, you got to see it! You got to see it!" And I would see the videos. So like for Red Rider, Lunatic Fringe, they would play, you know, the little clips. For this, I was aware of it, and then I really got hooked and really liked the movie. See, I thought maybe you might play uh, Sammy Hagar's "I'll Fall in Love Again" off of this off of this soundtrack. Okay, so that was in consideration. Okay, because <laughs> I, I that's one of my favorite Sammy Hagar songs of all time. And and for those of you who will remember, they're in the cafeteria, and yep. they they have like their student radio station, which is being played over the speakers. Right. And the, I forget exactly how the DJ kind of cues it up. He's like, and now the next one from Sammy Hagar. Well, because remember, that was when they made the announcement that he was going to wrestle shoot. Yeah. So they, they kind of made a big deal about it because the attention goes to goes to uh, Loudon in yeah. the cafeteria. So that was one of the bigger, you know, as far as everybody's like, because people were like, yeah, congratulations. And some people were like, you're crazy. And so it was like a divided cafeteria. So the reason well, this is number one on my list is because of that song, you know, Sammy Hagar's I'll Fall in Love Again, one of my favorite songs ever. You know, that is in my top two favorite Sammy Hagar songs through his time in Van Halen, solo work. That's up there. I mean, that might even be number one. But Journey, Only the Young. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I debated playing that because that's kind of how the movie opens. And my all-time favorite Madonna song, Crazy For You, is in that movie. You know, you're 100% right. And that's a shame that, 
unfortunately, the, the soundtrack kind of got tied with the movie. Yeah. Which sort of fell off of everybody's radar. A good movie. It, did well. Kind of popular at the time, but not something that people talk about anymore. Yeah. Think about movies that are shown over and over again on television to this day. Vision Quest is not something that shows up very often. Right. And I think if it were played more, or as much as, say, a Dirty Dancing, that that soundtrack wouldn't be looked at again as how as really how truly good it is. Uh, the soundtrack is much better than the movie. And it was a good movie. It's a good movie. But it's a great soundtrack. Yeah. And... I really didn't even think about Vision Quest. It didn't. That wasn't even part of my consideration. I, for that, it's your number one. Doesn't surprise me. But when you when you actually go back and say this song was on it, and this song was on it, and this song was on it, mm-hmm. it's like, man, how did I miss that? But if if we ever would do a list of uh, you know like said favorite ballads, Madonna's "Crazy for You" has got to be up there for me. Sure. And that was once again clips from the movie played on mtv to that song there madonna didn't release a, a separate music video it was it was from vision quest correct yeah yeah those those um what was the other there was a, was there another song that was that she did on that soundtrack? there was another song okay I, I'm, I'm i'm drawing a blank on it but I, I didn't care for it as much right yeah but crazy for you is an all-time classic and yeah it was on the vision quest soundtrack wow yeah it was, yeah. and, and I don't think she ever released it on anything, maybe on her greatest hits. It's on her greatest hits, because I, I do have okay. it. That's how I but purchased not, it. But it wasn't on, you know, like a virgin or, or anything like that. So anyways, wow. so that's my that's my list, um, that, and now I'll you know turn it over to Scott and let him go down his list. Well, I'm glad we weren't, I mean, we have some that we agreed upon, but at least we're not, you know, doubling over many, many times. I think we, two or maybe three okay, good. of these were, were uh, that we agreed upon. Hello everyone, Scott here from the Gen X Playback Show. We just put the wraps on part one of our episode on our favorite movie soundtracks of all time. And hope you hope you enjoyed that one. We had a lot of fun doing this particular episode. Part one was uh, Sean's top ten, and part two will be my top ten. And um, we hope you're having a good time with this one, because we, we certainly did enjoy covering our favorite movie soundtracks of all time. There are so many to choose from for our generation in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Sean and I had a lot of fun with this with this specific episode, and we hope that you enjoyed it as well. And we're so glad that you tune in week in and week out for all of our episodes on Generation X and tuning into Gen X Playback. So on behalf of Sean... I am Scott, we are the Brothers High, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks.